We come to the concluding service in this gospel meeting, always with mixed emotions. We're glad that we have had the opportunity to be here and to be involved in the preaching and teaching of God's Word. But we always think that there might be more that could be done, more could be said. And we hope and pray that uh, we will all do our very best to continue to talk to people about the gospel of Christ, about the Lord's church, and about things that are divine and spiritual, and take advantage of every opportunity we have to encourage those who might have been here during this meeting and not taken advantage of the opportunity to become Christians to do so. Those that might need to be restored, we need to encourage them. And we all need to try to continue to grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and in the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been so encouraging to me by the remarks you've made. My spirit has been refreshed by being with you this week. It's been a delight to be associated with Randy and Denise and their family again. As I told you on Sunday, I believe, I was privileged to do their wedding ceremony several years ago. And uh, I've come to love and appreciate and respect them so much. And, of course, I knew them prior to their becoming husband and wife. And uh, I was just really honored to be invited to be a part of that. We did it on Wednesday night at Free State after their services. And uh, we had a wonderful time with them on that occasion. And uh, we've just really come to respect them very highly. And the eldership here has been so kind and gracious in extending this invitation to us. And all of you as a congregation have just been really hospitable and very encouraging. And I have been so thoroughly impressed by the attention that you have given and the comments that you have made at the door. And uh, I tell people that I appreciate those comments, but, uh, you know, if you disagree with something I said, I want to hear from you too. And believe you me, I've heard from a few people over the years too about things that they didn't agree with. Uh, that we had preached on the radio or sometimes even uh, from the pulpit. And we're always happy to discuss those things uh, with you. And uh, we, we hope that you'll come and see us at Carthage. Uh, if you're traveling especially toward Nashville, we meet at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. And we have several people that come and visit with us and then go on their way to Nashville or points west and uh, sometimes we'll have people that'll stop by going to the mountains, coming from the Nashville area. They'll come and worship with us and then go on uh, toward the east. But uh, we're, uh, I guess, what, about eight miles, I guess, off the interstate, six to eight miles anyway. It's ten miles from my house to the interstate. Uh, but uh, anyway, we'd love to have you come and be with us. And we meet for Bible study thereafter Sunday night at 6 and Wednesday night at 7. So if you're in the, our area anytime, we'd be delighted to have you. I want to say a word about the song leaders and uh, thank them for their contribution to this series of gospel meetings. Uh, good singing always adds to a meeting. And sometimes I think, well, let's just sing a while longer and let the sermon go for a while, you know. I mean, I, I really enjoy singing, and it's so uh, uh, stimulating and uplifting, edifying to us all. 
and uh, we just really appreciate them. Uh, the young man that's leading the singing tonight, I've known since he was born. And, of course, I knew his daddy uh, from the time he was born. and known his granddad for a long time, too. And uh, Andrew does a good job. He's been with us at Jackson Smith County Youth Camp. And uh, we appreciate uh, the fact that he is continuing in his service to the Lord. And I know that Shiloh is here in number tonight. And we got to thank them for coming to be with us this evening. And I've known Doyle and Louise and, and uh, the others. I've known the Butlers, of course, for a long time. And just a whole bunch of people that uh, we've come to know and love and appreciate over the years. They've been very encouraging to us in the preaching and teaching of the gospel, too. I'm glad that uh, my first mother-in-law is able to be with me tonight. Uh, she's uh, hadn't been able to be with us yet in the meeting. That's the way I introduce best mother-in-law I've ever had. And uh, she has, uh, uh, of course, she's 88, and uh, she uh, hadn't been feeling the best in the world, but she's able to be with us tonight. She and Barbara are sitting back there, and, and that's always an honor to have her in the audience and to have my wife in the audience as well. Now, I'll probably think of some more things that I intended to say at this point when I lay down to sleep tonight, so we'll just remember you in our prayers, okay? And uh, maybe even in our dreams, because sometimes uh, we do dream about such things as those that happen at church. And uh, we have just been really blessed to be here. I mentioned last night Brother Willard Collins having a plan for meetings. Well, we've sort of followed that plan in this meeting. We've tried to identify the problem, the problem of sin. We saw some of the sins that the people of God committed in the days of the prophets, and those same sins are being committed today. Sin is still very much a problem in our world. If you don't believe me, watch the evening news tonight, and you will find out that that is a correct assessment. It is my strong conviction that our nation is in peril at the present time. There's a lot of things going on that deeply concern people who know the Bible and who know history. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people, Solomon said a long time ago, and that is still true in the 21st century. If righteousness exalts people, then it will exalt all people. If sin is a reproach to one nation or one person, it is a reproach to all. That principle needs to be kept in mind. So we've tried to identify the problem. We've also tried to make known the solution. In order for sin to be solved, we have to repent of it. And we have to obey the gospel of Christ to be cleansed of our sins. So we've talked about those two things. Then Brother Collins would say, you want to try to supply motivation during a gospel meeting. Motivation for people to obey the gospel of Christ. That's what I want to do tonight. I want to talk to you probably about the most important subject in connection with all of these things that we could possibly address. And you may not even have thought of it. Sometimes it takes me a while to make connections. 
But we've been studying the book of 1 John on Sunday evening. And I have been thoroughly impressed by what John has to say about the love of God. I want you to think with me tonight in this closing lesson simply about the love of God. There are two aspects at least to it. The love of God automatically reminds us of the love that characterizes God for mankind. The second aspect that grows out of a knowledge of that love is the love that men have for God because of His love for us. Those are two very important things. Now, love is not just a sentimental emotion, a feeling that you feel like you've never felt before, just merely feelings. Love is really a way of life. It grows out of the development of godly traits in our hearts. And we begin to realize and to know more and more about God. Then we will become more like Him. Volumes have been written about the love of God in the past. They continue to be written today. There's all kinds of tributes by preachers to the love of God. And if time continues, I have no doubt that it will be preached on often in coming years and, my, uh, years and centuries if time does indeed continue. When you think about the love of God, we, we realize that the greatest text on the love of God is the sacred scriptures of the Almighty God. It tells us what God did in the dawning of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. And we see in that first chapter of Genesis the love of God evidenced. He did not create man and woman until He had prepared a place for them to inhabit. He provided them a home very lovingly and graciously. And then He brought them into existence. And this was the climax of creation because He created man in His own image after His likeness. That was not said of the animals. But it is said of man. There's something special about man. He is not just a highly educated, sophisticated monkey. He is a man. Far above and beyond in the eyes of God. Much more valuable in the eyes of the Creator than the creatures that He created. Remember when man is described as having gotten into trouble and posed many problems for himself in Romans 1 because he refused to retain God and his knowledge? 
and he worshiped and served the creature more than the creator? People are losing their way when they forget that there is a divine creator to whom we owe our very existence. But we must never forget that the one who created us loved us. I would say that old Henry Ford was pretty proud of those Model T's and Model A's. In fact, he didn't care what color they were as long as they were black. There were people who wanted him and suggested to him, you know, uh, we need more colors. He said, nah, just any colors all right as long as it's black or blue. And the story goes that as he was driving down the road one day, there was a fellow who was having car trouble. And Ford stopped and asked him, you know, are you having trouble? He said, yeah, it's doing so and so. And Henry Ford said, uh, well, try this. Do this, you know. And the guy did it. And he said, how would you know to do that? He said, sir, I built that car. He knew how that car worked. God knows how we work, too. He knows all about us. The very hairs of our head are numbered. Has to count higher for some than others. But he knows everything about us. He really does. And when we come to know Him and to understand Him, we will love Him in return. The person who doesn't love God doesn't know God. First John shows that. The person who knows God will love Him. That's one of the things that I often think about Jesus as our Savior. How could you not love someone like the Christ who died for our sins? I've talked to husbands and wives who were having trouble on occasion. And I have taught them, or talked to them about the characteristics that they need to try to develop in their lives. And let those seed be planted in their hearts and let that grow and germinate and I have said to a husband, you know, if you'll do that, it's going to be hard for your wife not to love you. And I have told, told wives, you know, if, if you will develop these traits, I'll guarantee you that it's going to be really difficult for your husband not to love you. When you develop those godlike traits in your life, People will respect you. They may not always agree with you. They may not agree with you doctrinally. They may not even agree with you morally, but they'll respect you. And so when we come to know God, we will respect and love Him because, you see, He is love and He is light. There is nothing imperfect about His love. His love is pure, it's righteous, it's true. God is light, that is, He is true, He's good, He's holy. 
And those two attributes are alluded to in the book of 1 John. God is called God, uh, or said to be light in 1 John 1 verse 2. And in chapter 4 and verses 8 and 16, He's said to be love. You could say that God is pure and above reproach in morality and in doctrine. That covers it all. He will tell you nothing that is not true. Everything He tells you will be true. Everything He urges you to do will be right. And when it comes to morality, He is above reproach. He cannot lie. Look at all the warnings in the Bible about lying. Put away lying. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor, Paul told the Ephesians. All liars will have their lake, a part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, Revelation 21.8. God is a God of truth. He is so desirable, it should amaze us when people reject Him. It should really cause us great concern. To all those living in the first century, John surely would have been somewhat of an authority on love. You know, if we're going to have a particular subject discussed at Carthage in great detail, we might invite a well-known gospel preacher who has thoroughly researched that subject and ask him to come. We've had people come and talk about apologetics, that is, the defense of the Bible and the existence of God and things of that nature. We've had people come in and address various denominational ideas and false doctrines. We talked about stewardship. We asked V.P. Black to come on two separate occasions, and every time Brother Black came, our contributions increased. Brother Black told us, you can't outgive God. And he said, God's people are the most loving and generous and benevolent people on the face of the earth. And if you'll teach them to give, they'll give. And you know, in all the years I've been at Carthage, there has never been a need which arose that has not been met. Our elders have never said, gone to the congregation and said, we have a need. And we think we need to respond to this need. And it's always been met. We had a man come not, long, not too many years ago, and, and he knew of a fellow who was a native preacher in a mission area over in South America. And he said, you know, this man is a good man, and, and he needs to be supported because he's a hard worker, and he'll preach the gospel to his people. And he talked about how that sometimes that was more effective than an American going there. So he said he needs support. Before that service, well, just as it ended that night, one of our couples went to the elders and said, if you brethren, if the church here will pick up that work, 
we will see to it that the money is there over and above what we're giving now. And that man is still being supported by the church at Carthage. You see, when people love God and they come to understand the love of God, they will respond. When you study the book of 1 John, you cannot help but be impressed by what the apostle of love, you know, he was previously known as the son of thunder. But before his death, he came to be known and is still affectionately called the apostle of love today. He's believed to have been that apostle that reclined upon Jesus the night of the Last Supper, the night of our Lord's betrayal. He's believed to be that apostle whom Jesus is said to have loved, though that apostle is not mentioned by name in those writings. Tradition has it that when John was very old, he would stand with very little strength and perhaps leaning on a podium would say over and over again to his audience, little children, love one another. Love one another. Why? Because love is of God. Some of the things that people are calling love today is not love at all. It's just lust, pure and simple. And I'm going to throw in a point just here that I intended to make uh, Sunday morning when we were talking about, or Sunday afternoon when we were talking about some of the current things that are going on. So many people are saying now, you know, in reverence to gay marriage, uh, shouldn't be any problem with that because if two people love one another, they ought to be able to marry. Now, does that reasoning extend to an older man and a little child or parent marrying a child of his or hers or and it won't be long till this will be happening there will be people who will be wanting to marry their pets I'll guarantee you and you, you may think that's outlandish I'm not trying to be a prophet, but I predict that that's coming for the simple reason that people want their pets to have their benefits. You see, that's what a lot of this is tied to. You know, there, there are people who are wanting to marry members of the same sex for that reason, to pass their inheritance on to them. And there are people who now are very attached to their pets. But when you look at the concept of love, people forget that Paul described in Romans 1 homosexual activity as being, notice this word, unseemly. Remember that? Romans 1? This is unnatural, and he said it's unseemly. Quickly to 1 Corinthians 13, about verse 5. When Paul is describing love, what does he say about it? Love does not behave itself unseemly. Same word. 
So what is described in Romans 1 cannot be love. Because what's described in Romans 1 is said to be unseemly. And love is not characterized by that which is unseemly. Case closed as far as I'm concerned. Because that's what the Bible says about it. The love of God is pure. The book of 1 John, 2 John, even 3 John talks about the importance of love. And if you even go to the book of Revelation, you will find that John talks about one's love for God. The church at Ephesus had done what? Left her first love. What is to be our first love? The first and greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. There's nothing you can love more than that. If you love something with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and the word strength is to be thrown in there too. If you look at all the accounts of that statement. That's just loving God with everything. These people had lost their love for God. And as a result, they were not being faithful to Him and the church. Even there, you see that it's a problem. Laodicea's love for God had done what? It had turned lukewarm. You see, he's talking to them about the love of God that he had spoken of in the book of 1 John. Now, the book of Revelation has as its primary theme dealing with persecution. How are Christians to respond when times get difficult? It's summed up in Revelation 2.10. Be thou faithful unto death. Unto death. See, I mean, he's getting down to the nitty gritty. This is where the rubber meets the road. You may be called upon to die for your faith because of your faith. So what do you do? The Roman emperor would bring them before him and uh, before the tribunals, and Christians would be told, You deny your Lord and you'll live. If you don't deny him, then it will be off with your head. You will die. Sadly, there were some who denied the Lord. You know, that puts into better perspective that statement that Jesus made. If you will confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Heavenly Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. You see, before men involved the Roman emperor and anybody else. Now, that's what the book of Revelation is primarily about. Oh, I've had people try to tell me that certain individuals in the book of Revelation was the current president of the United States, whether it was Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, John F. Kennedy, Barack Obama, whoever. I never have forgotten when uh, a relative of mine really 
said, you know who that fellow is right there in the book of Revelation where we were reading? And I said, well, I'm not really sure. Who do you think it is? He said, Lyndon Johnson. And he was as serious as death. And I tried to go back and show him the overall picture of the book of Revelation. It's about suffering persecution and loving the Lord with all of one's heart during that persecution and remaining faithful to the Lord even if you are killed for your faith. I hope and pray I'm wrong. But folks, that day may come in America. That day could very well come in this country if things are not changed because there are lots of people very antagonistic toward Christianity and do not think the Lord's church would be spared. I still believe there will always be a faithful remnant because history shows that that's been the case. And God promises and assures us that those who remain faithful will be blessed in that regard. John was on the Isle of Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation and he could look across the Aegean Sea, the waves rolling, no doubt. And on a clear day, Brother Dal Flat used to say he could see his Ephesus home. Maybe he couldn't see the very house, but he could see the city over on the coast there in Asia Minor and probably see other parts of Asia Minor too and some of the places to which he was riding, one of which was Ephesus. That was one of the seven churches. And I've wondered, just thinking about it today, do you suppose that some of those brethren over in Ephesus were praying for and longing for the day when John would be released and be able to come back to Ephesus and preach the gospel to them again. You know, there's so many things that you can think about. John wrote in 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold what manner of love God has bestowed upon us. Behold, look at it, view it, think about it, meditate upon it. What manner of love God has bestowed upon us. Have you ever thought about what manner of love it is? I'm going to give you some quick points right before we close this lesson. For you to think about the manner of this love. What kind of love is it? It is an, an initiatory love. What do I mean by that? It's an initial love. John tells us in 1 John 4, 19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He loved us before we loved Him. His love for us preceded our love for Him. And because He loved us and has blessed us, we have come now to love Him upon due consideration of His love. 
Love does amazing things. Love will not be denied. Some of us were talking the other day about how love just won't be denied. Mamas will find a way to take care of their children, defend them. And I thought of, about a, a man whose brother was very ill in a hospital in another state. And I believe he lived in Wisconsin. I can't remember if his brother lived in Illinois or where, but his driver's license had been taken from him. He got on his John Deere riding mower, and he went to see his brother. His brother was very, very ill, perhaps at the point of death. And he said, I've got to see my brother before he dies, and I'm going to see him. And the story told of how he drove through hot weather, sleet and snow, whatever, you know. He was bound and determined to get there. Why? Because he loved his brother. He wanted to see him the point that John is making here is that Jesus took and God took the initial step they loved us first and then we loved them that's pretty powerful isn't it when you stop and think about it he initiated God initiated the love that's the manner of God's love he initiates the action. A second, that love is inclusive. There's a statement made in 1 John 2, 2, which says that He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also, hear it now, for the sins of the whole world. That means He loves everybody. He gave His Son as the propitiation, the atonement for the sins, not just those who are Christians, but potentially for all people. Jesus died. Calvinism has that point, you know, of limited atonement. The atonement was only for the redeemed, only for the elect. I've known a person or two in Smith County who have been taught that doctrine all their lives, and one at least, maybe more than one, believed he was among the non-elect and that it would be impossible for him to ever be saved. Can you imagine carrying a burden like that? That man had never perhaps been told of this passage of Scripture. God's love reaches to the remotest area of the world. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That love is inclusive. Thirdly, it's also a sacrificial love. Look at what John said in, in uh, 1 John 3, verse 16. He said, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. Think of what a sacrifice that was. The sinless one dying for all sinners the one in whose mouth was no guile, dying for those who had been filled with guile. 
And Paul in the book of Romans talks about those whose throat is an open sepulcher, spewing forth all kinds of profanities. Can you imagine the stench that would come from an open sepulcher, an open grave? Do you remember when Jesus came to raise Lazarus from the dead? He'd been dead four days. He'd been put in the tomb. And there were people who were saying to the Lord, you don't want us to roll that stone away. Why do you think they were saying that? They even mentioned that his body would be stinking because of the decaying process. That would be very powerful when considering Paul's statement of an open sepulcher. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Friends, I've often said it. Some of you may have heard me say it before. But there's one thing in this life that is more difficult than me or you dying for somebody else. I think some of you probably already know what it is. It would be giving one of your children to die for somebody else. Now listen to John 3.16. For God so loved, that word so denotes the manner of his love. John says, what manner of love the fathers bestowed upon us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now that tells you how much God loves the world. A world filled with sinners. He loved all of us enough to give his only begotten son for our sins. Now can you imagine any sacrifice greater than that? I seriously doubt that any of us can comprehend that. It is often said that a mother's love is the strongest love on earth. That may be true. But I'll tell you where most, lovers, uh, where most mothers learn to love like that. They know something about God. And I believe that there is a built-in instinct. It's called natural affection in the scriptures because it's God-given. I topped a tree for our oldest daughter and her husband and oldest grandson Sunday or Saturday afternoon. They, had, they helped a little bit. Took me a while to do it. One chainsaw was so dull it wouldn't cut, and the other one wouldn't run very long at a time. So I finally got it gnawed down. One of the things that disturbed me about that was that I didn't know it until I'd already cut part of the tree down. I'd found the robin's nest, no, the cardinal's nest, but I didn't see the robin's until it was too late and it fell to the ground. And guess what mama and daddy bird did? They hung around and just couldn't believe that their little homes had been destroyed. I regretted that. I didn't want my grandchildren to know about that 
nest that fell to the ground, the eggs being trampled. We tried to save the cardinals. We put them back into a part of the tree. I'm not sure that their parents ever came to reclaim them because everything had been torn up around their home. There was natural affection displayed there. Now, humans are to have that natural affection too. But where does it come from? A loving and benevolent God. I could talk to you about the compelling nature of that love. Just read the passage to you. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's found in chapter 4, verse 11. A little bit later in that chapter, John says, That love that we have for one another compels us to do good to one another. If you see your brother in need, you go and help him. And he goes on to discuss in verses 18 through 24 how the love of God compels us to keep God's commandments and to continually dwell in him. Friends, that's the, the point that's being made in 1 John. I have a lot of religious friends in Smith County that will argue that 1 John teaches that uh, one who is saved does not sin. And they'll look at those passages in John that said, you know, uh, uh, one who is uh, a Christian uh, sinneth not. But the tense there of those Greek verbs reveal that he is saying, and some translations so translate it, that he does not keep on sinning. He does not persist in sin. Sin is no longer a way of life for him. That's the idea. As I pointed out in a recent lesson, the book ends by saying, keep yourself from idols. To whom is he speaking? He's talking to Christians. If a Christian can't sin, why is that admonition given? Christian couldn't give himself to idols. There's no way he could if you can't sin because idolatry is a sin. So if that's the argument that John is making, he is defeating himself, and he meets himself coming back. And when you understand the purpose of 1 John is to continue in the love of God, allow the love of God to rule in your heart, and you will remain faithful to Him. If you understand how He loves you, then you'll want to love Him. The love of God, oh, what a love it is. Behold the manner of love the fathers bestowed upon us. To understand that love even more completely, I want to close by calling your attention again to Luke 15. Don't want to talk about the prodigal. Don't want to talk about the elder brother. I want to talk about the father. Have you ever thought about the fact that the father loved that son, loved both of his sons? While that young boy was at home, he loved him before he ever left home. He loved him when he was leaving home. I dare say that father stood and watched that boy walk down the uh, walk to the gate and down the road. Probably watched him until he was out of sight. Why did he do that? Hated to see him leave because he loved him. And do you know, even when that boy was over there in that far country, do you think his father loved him? Well, we know he did. I dare say he prayed for him, probably overnight, maybe several times a day. Might have even sent somebody over there to see if they could find out something about him. or Might have even sent a letter. 
inquiring of somebody that he may have known over in that part of the world, you know, uh, how's my boy doing? Why'd he do that? Because he loved him, even when he was in that strange land. Involved in activity probably that he shouldn't have been involved in. Now, we know that he loved him when he came home, don't we? But he loved him before he ever left. He loved him while he was away. He loved him when he came home, and he loved him when he stayed home. Friends, you can be assured that God loves you. He loves people who are in sin. He doesn't condone it. Do you remember brothers praying years ago? I've heard my daddy lead this prayer. When he would ask God's blessing to be upon those who were not Christians and not yet saved from their sins. And he and other brethren would often make this statement. They'd say, we do not pray that they would be saved in their sin, but from their sin. You know, we're not asking you to save them in their lost condition. But we pray that something may be said or done that will result in them coming to you. Now, that's what we need to be praying for. And always loving all men. And realizing that every soul is valuable to God and is loved by Him. Friends, if the love of God will not motivate us to serve Him faithfully, then little else will be to any avail. The love of God, what manner of love God has bestowed upon us. Would you like to respond to that love tonight in simple trusting faith to obey the gospel by being baptized as a penitent confessing believer? You can be assisted in doing that. You can leave this building tonight a child of the God and you will be a recipient of his continuing blessings showered upon you because of his love. If you need to be restored, come back to your first love. Be sure to do that too. Come if you're subject as we stand and as we sing.